Stories. Everybody's got them, and we can learn from each other. History can be traced through letters and writings, but the one thing that has remained throughout the generations is the oral tradition. Oral history is one attempt to pass along the stories, tales, musings, and remembrances of one family for the benefit of listeners for generations to come. Join us now for this episode of Oral History with Jeff Zulkowski. Thanks for joining us last time on Oral History, episode 14. I began the story of my faith journey, and today I want to continue that and kind of take you on the next steps. Last time I spoke to you about my coming to Christ and the young lady that put her relationship with me on the line so that I might know Christ, how my brother and brother-in-law and sister prayed for me when I was far from God and how God allowed me to experience life far from him so that he could introduce himself to me. And that was 1983, October 30th exactly. And after I came to faith, God did some pretty miraculous things. One of the very first things he did is he sanctified my tongue. And sanctified is a Christian word for uh, setting aside, basically. And it was uh, easier and easier over the four years of my high school career to say the things that I knew I shouldn't say from my upbringing as a Catholic. There were certain words that just weren't said, and I knew I shouldn't say them, but it got easier and easier the farther I got away from Christ. And when God brought drew me to himself, he immediately cleaned up my language. Not everything was cleaned up. I still struggled with my just my sexual desire and some of the things that that I was dealing with but God immediately cleaned up my my tongue and he also began to speak to me in ways that I had not known back when I was in 6th grade and crying out to the God by praying into the corner of a room God if you're there God was now telling me things that he wanted me to accomplish, and he was pointing me to Scripture. Sometimes he was pointing me to verses in the Bible, and I didn't even know most of the books of the Bible. I had heard them in my upbringing as a Catholic, and I'd begun to study them with the lady that was discipling me, but God began to give me verses, chapter and verse, to go look up, and he began to show me how he was drawing me to himself and how he was changing my life. He had changed my desires. He had changed my desires for a career. And that's where we're going to head today in uh, episode 15, uh, My Faith Journey, part two. God changed my path. And when he gripped my life in 1983, I was connected to a TV station, a, a, a local origination cable station. I had worked for the guy for a couple of years. I, I had stayed connected with him. I still had the opportunity. I was attending college, but not involved in the television station at that time. And God began to change my desires, not so much that he radically pulled me out of a desire to do television, but he changed the end result of what he wanted to do with those giftings that he'd given me. And one of the first things that he told me that he wanted me to do was he wanted me to take those giftings and use them for the glory of God. Now, in 1983, MTV was kind of coming into its own. Yeah, MTV once used to play music videos 24 hours a day, far from that now. But in that day, they played music videos top to bottom. And the Christian recording industry was beginning to recognize that 
there was something to these concept music videos. And so Sparrow Records, Word Records, and a number of others began producing music videos. One of them in particular was a song called He's Returning by a group called Whiteheart that I would have much closer ties to one of the singers in that song later in life than I had ever anticipated. We'll share that at a future date. But at this point, we connected with some of these recording companies. And when I say we, I had several friends that I was working with. They were part of a Christian rock group, and they were playing local gigs in our hometown and around. And we determined that we were going to produce 13 weeks of a Christian MTV-type program. There was only one that was really out there. It was on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. There weren't anything, there wasn't anything being done locally. Um, so we decided to, to give it a go. And we put together a slate of 13 television episodes f- through this local cable, uh, local origination cable station. We solicited these uh, videos from Word Records and Sparrow Records and others, and they were gracious enough to ship VHS and sometimes three-quarter-inch videotapes to us of these concept videos of Christian recording artists. During that time, we actually produced the ins and outs of those videos using two of the guys from that Christian rock group, my best friend Sean and a friend named Stan. And they became the hosts of a program that we called Psalm 150. It was all based on uh, the last psalm, and it talks about making a joyful noise unto the Lord. And during this time, it was just remarkable to watch God move, because I was the president of this company and was in the process of just doing things as a 20-year-old kid that I had no idea what I was doing. It was the the latter part, September or so of 1985, and uh, we we were shipping uh, packages off to the state of Colorado and signing documents, and for some reason, they gave this group of young 20-year-olds uh, 501c3 tax-exempt status for this corporation called Psalm 150, and we became a tax-exempt entity that could receive donations, although I don't believe that we ever did. Um, and we produced this MTV-style Christian music program. We had several episodes that were just canned music videos beginning to end, but we had one in particular about midway through the year that we had a group called Second Chapter of Acts that had connected with an organization based out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, called Compassion International. And they had done this extended video of their having met their children through compassion. And Colorado Springs was only about 40 miles from where we were at. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us to connect with them and see if we couldn't interview one of their people on staff and just have him talk about Compassion International. So again, here are some 20-year-olds with some borrowed gear, packing up a van and driving to Colorado Springs and meeting with a gentleman by the name of Wes Stafford. Wes at the time was a a junior uh, executive at Compassion International. He became the president and CEO years later and held that position for many, many years. But at the time, we were just a bunch of nobodies that interviewed 
this dude at Compassion International and talked about what it was they were trying to do to feed children around the world. And then we played the video from second chapter of Acts. And that wasn't the most remarkable thing God did through us that year. There were many, many remarkable things, many things that caused me to just pause and stand in awe of the glory of God. But one of the most remarkable was about halfway through that 13-week season in the fall of 1985, God asked us to produce and put together a youth rally. At that youth rally, we would uh, have a band play because we already had a band. That was the Christian rock band that my friends were part of. We would play a specially produced episode of our music video program, and we would have a preacher come and share the gospel. And we began to promote it around the city. We began looking for someone to preach, and we, we reached out locally to a couple of the churches in which we were involved. And one of the ladies in my home church, her son was a youth pastor in Houston, Texas. And he offered himself to fly himself home to Canyon City, Colorado, be with his mom for a few days, and preach this particular youth rally called Impulse 85. And it was just remarkable that he would offer himself up in that way. Um, it was remarkable that the production of the television program came together even the night before the event. Even more remarkable was the fact that product that we were waiting on from Word Records showed up the day of the event. And most remarkable of all was the fact that God showed up that night. We played the special episode of, of Psalm 150, and the rock band played, and this young man from Houston, Texas, shared the gospel. And about 300 young people from that county showed up at this Catholic meeting hall in Canyon City, Colorado. And that night, about 60 kids walked forward and gave their lives to Christ. And, and even today, the emotion of being involved in something like that just compels me to praise God. I was a 20-something kid. I had only been a Christian for a little over two years. And God used me and a group of my friends to change the eternal destinies of some 60 kids. And I went in the bathroom that night, and I just wept. I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't believe that God was using me in this way. I still can't believe that God used me that way. I paused to let a little bit of that sink in and to say that all it takes is our obedience. All it takes is faithfulness. I mentioned last time in the last episode that faithfulness is just long obedience in the same direction. And we were faithful. We were used of the Lord, and none of that glory goes to us. None of that glory goes to Sean. None of that glory goes to Stan. None of that glory goes to that young man that preached that night. None of that glory especially goes to me. It goes to the Lord for what he accomplished, but the fact that he uses us astounds me. 
So as that evening concluded, we had a debrief and we immediately began preparing for what we wanted to do again the following year. Impulse 86 was going to be uh, bigger and better than the previous year. We put an ad in a magazine called Contemporary Christian Music Magazine, and we solicited audition tapes from a number of uh, bands from around the United States. We had actually settled on one, a group called Holy Smoke, based out of Oklahoma, and we were very excited about bringing them to Impulse 86 in the fall of 1986. And as we approached that time, as we worked our way through the early part of 1986, doors just kept slamming shut one after the other. Everything we attempted to do, every, uh, every time we tried to raise funds or, or raise awareness or find a venue or find someone to preach or even our negotiations with that band in Oklahoma, everything began to just crumble and crumble and crumble. And I just wept again because I just questioned, God, why would you allow us to do this and then not allow us to do it again? And after some serious soul searching, I realized that what God was saying to me is that first time was about me, God was saying to me, that it was about him and that the subsequent event wouldn't be about him. It would be about what we could accomplish, what Sean and Stan and Jeff could accomplish. And so he just closed the door and I was heartbroken. And, and I walked with the Lord, and I was involved in a local church, and I spent time working with sound ministry and, and continuing my college career. And I went a couple years and just continued to wonder if God would ever use me like that again. And when you sit and languish in a job that you don't necessarily feel like is your career. And for me, it was a job at a place called Alco. Alco was a discount store, much like a miniature version of Walmart. And I worked in house and gardens and I worked in the beauty aids and I, and I worked in the electronics department. And that whole time I couldn't figure out why God wasn't allowing me to be used like that again. And I stopped my college career. I took some other jobs. I worked for my hometown newspaper. I worked for uh, the postal system. I carried mail. I went back to school and I got my degree and I began to get involved in television again. Once back in college, I began working for the public television station that was licensed to the university. And it was there that God began to stir in my heart again a desire to be involved in ministry, this time to be involved in ministry full-time. And as I worked through my years at KTSC, and you can go back and listen to the episode called the KTSC TV Years, God was really prepping me for the next step. And it was going to look something similar to what I had done when we put together Impulse 85. This was 10 years later. This is 1996, 1995 actually. And God begins to, to press on my heart 
I, I had taken a, a promotion at KTSC TV into management, but when I did so, I let them know that I had a desire for full-time ministry. In fact, while I was contemplating taking the promotion at KTSC TV, I had been interviewing for other jobs. I had taken an interview with an organization called Group Publishing based out of Loveland, Colorado that produces a couple of ministry magazines for youth. And I thought for sure I was going to get that job. I had prepped a resume specifically for that job. It had detailed every piece of gear I had ever touched. And uh, it showed my skills in video. And when it came down to the final decision, the people at Group Publishing said, no, we're going to go a different way. And I accepted the job, the promotion at KTSC. But little, little that was known to me is there was still an organization floating around with my resume in their hands, and specifically in the hands of a lady by the name of Cecilia. Cecilia was the administrator's secretary for Steve Green Ministries. And I mentioned a few moments ago that one of those songs we played early on in the days of Psalm 150 the TV show was a song called He's Returning by Whiteheart. And although he doesn't appear in the video, his vocal on that track is Steve Green. Steve started his ministry in 1983 and was part of a group called Truth when he started his own, his own ministry. But he spent a, few, a short amount of time as one of the singers in the Gaither Vocal Band, and he actually coined the name Whiteheart and sang the tracks for the very first release of this rock group called Whiteheart. And he never toured with them. He took off on his own, and they toured on that recording, even though it was Steve's vocal. And so that video became instrumental in where I was headed 10 years later, because Cecilia, the administrator's secretary for Steve Green Ministries, she had my resume in her hand, and she was very impressed with it. She noted two things about my, my resume. One was the detail I had placed into it. All of the equipment I'd ever touched was listed. But more importantly was one of the lines that I had written in the cover letter, which was that I was interested in ministry and not just a job in the music industry, not just being a roadie, not just a gig, but I was interested in ministry. And unbeknownst to me, Cecilia walked into Steve, Steve's brother, David, he was the administrator. She walked into his office and she placed my resume on David's desk and she said, I don't know who you think you're gonna hire for this job, but this is the guy you need to hire. And the saying around the office was, if Cecilia wasn't happy, nobody was happy. And so David saw with great wisdom that Cecilia had heard from the Lord, and they called me. They called me in November of 1984, or 1994, sorry. And they asked me to fly to Nashville and interview for a job with Steve Green Ministries. And I went not knowing anybody there, never having lived out of the state of Colorado, never having lived f farther than 40 miles from my, from my hometown, I went and I went with expectation because I was ready to go wherever God led me. And as it turns out, it took 10 years for God to prepare me 
for that role. And it took 10 years for God to get Steve Green Ministries to the point where they needed me. And that's, again, not about me. That's about what God was orchestrating. And I think back now to those days of Impulse 85 and the things that we did where we set up video gear. In fact, we rented a projection television from an organization in Colorado Springs and we loaded it into a truck and we drove it to Canyon City for that Impulse 85 event. And we produced that music video program with some of Steve's vocals on one of the tracks. And when we tried to do Impulse 86 and it failed and I cried out to God, why won't you let me do this again? His answer wasn't, you don't get to do it again. His answer was, just wait for me. And it was 10 years later that I got the call from Steve Green Ministries. So I flew to Nashville and I met with his team and I met with Steve and his family. I met with all the guys on the team. I saw how they did ministry, how they were in a bus and traveled the country and traveled the world. And I went back to Colorado and I was convinced that that's what God had for me. I began to prepare my employer for the eventuality of my leaving. But above all, I talked to my family and I talked to my parents and my mom in particular. If you listen to episode 13, you'll hear me tell the story of my mom. My mom was my protector. My mom spent her life protecting me. And I knew if my mom could say with a sincere heart that I was to go to Nashville and take this job, then that's what I was supposed to do. And so Steve Green Ministries was pressing me for an answer, and I called my mom and dad and asked them to have lunch with me one day, and they drove to Pueblo, where I lived, and we had lunch together, and as we were leaving, my dad, I pulled my dad aside, and I said, I need to get an answer from mom. Can you talk to her on the way home? Because she didn't even want to talk to me about this. And uh, I got a call about an hour later from my dad, and he said, your mom's on the phone. She wants to talk to you, and he handed the phone to my mom, and my mom, through tears, said to me, you need to take that job in Nashville. And I knew what that meant for my mom. I knew what that meant for my protector. It meant that she had gotten a release from God to let me go and to take the next step. So in January of 1995, sorry, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, I moved into the house with uh, Brian Howell, my roommate at the time and lifelong friend who later would bring me to Cleveland. We'll get into that a little bit later. But at this point, I moved to Nashville and I began touring and doing the very things that we had done in Impulse 85 again. And again, God was saying, I told you to wait, and I told you to be faithful, and now you get to do it all over again, and you get to do it in a different way. Steve and his ministry, prior to my joining them, Steve's family had traveled with them, and they had traveled multiple weeks out of a month. Sometimes they were gone for up to three weeks, and he could do that when his family wasn't with him. 
But when I started in January of 1995, they changed the touring schedule and began touring only on weekends. So we would leave on a Thursday night. We would do two to three concerts in a weekend, and we would be back by Sunday or Monday, and then we'd do it all over again. And I toured with him all over the country. In fact, 47 of the 48 contiguous states I have been to, I've been to Hawaii, I've been to uh, Haiti, no, strike that, I've been to uh, Puerto Rico, I've been to Israel, I've been to Singapore and South Korea and the Philippines. And it was all part of God's plan. And I watched it unfold, but in all of it, there were times when I couldn't understand, especially during that 10 years between Impulse 85 and 1995 when I started with Steve, there were times that I just couldn't understand why I wasn't involved in ministry. I was involved in my local church, and I was serving I was doing sound ministry, and I was giving my life away, and I was involved in uh, children's ministry. I would gravitate toward the nursery, and I would watch little kids whenever I possibly could, and still love watching babies, and still looking for the one who is crying the hardest and needing the most. And during that time, there were times that I cried out, God, why? Why am I not in full-time ministry? Why am I not being used of you? And God's answer at every turn was, I am using you, and I have a plan, and you just have to wait. And I know how difficult that is for some people. I have a friend who, he was my best man, his name is Chip. He's had a desire to be in full-time ministry for many, many years, and he walked faithfully with me during some years in Nashville. And I know that that was his cry of his heart. He wanted to be involved in full-time ministry. I have other friends like Gary, who was involved in full-time ministry and, and now isn't, and his heart cries for being involved again. Friends like Tim, friends like Mark, and I don't know what to say, but I do know what it's like to be there. I do know what it's like to be in that time of waiting and how difficult it is. But you must know that God's in control, that God has a plan, and that often the answer is just wait. And it's hard. I know it's really hard. I did it for 10 years. So I would just say, if you're in that waiting game, be encouraged. Know that God is working. Know that God is working through you wherever you're at. Know that God is working in you to take you on those next few steps and just keep looking. Don't ever give up. Remain faithful. Remain obedient. Long obedience in a, 
in a single direction. And watch what God can do. As we draw to a close in episode 15, I want to pray for you as I always do, but I'll let you know that next time in episode 16, I'm going to cover the two fathers in my life. I'm going to talk about my dad, Alex, and I'm going to talk about my heavenly father. And we'll pick up this faith journey again in the near future. But I want to pray for you right now before we part ways. And I want you to know if you're one of those people that desires to be in ministry, I want you to read Matthew 7, 7. And the substance of that verse talks about asking and seeking and knocking. And the Greek words for those three words are present tense, active, ongoing words. It means to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And what that means in all of that is don't give up. If you have a heart for ministry, if you have a heart to be used of God in any way, be faithful where you're at and keep asking God to open the doors of what he wants to do in and through you. He will prepare you and he will prepare that place that he has for you to accept you when it's time. And you know that it'll be his hand. You'll know that it's him and he'll get all the honor and glory. So let me pray for you right now. Father God, I thank you for those who are listening who are in the waiting, the time of waiting that sometimes gets really, really quiet. And Father, I just pray that they would hear your still small voice and they would continue to ask and seek and knock and that they would continue to remain faithful, that they would continue to be obedient in that singular direction, that they would follow you and that they would wait for you so that you can use them. And Lord, it'll come at any time. It'll come when people are in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. It'll come in time when they're in their 20s like, they, like it did for me. So Lord, I pray that you would comfort my friends, that you would comfort their hearts and open their eyes and their ears to what it is that you're doing through them right now. And Lord, just continue to help them see where you would have them walk and use them mightily for your kingdom. Use them to draw people to yourself. Use them to change eternal destinies right where they're at and prepare them for how you want to use them in the future. And Lord, for those who are listening and none of this makes a whole lot of sense and it sounds kind of fantastic that the creator of the universe would even speak to somebody, would even condescend to be a part of somebody's life and use them, Lord. I pray, Father, for those people that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, grip their hearts right now, that you would open their eyes and their ears to the truth of the gospel, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he did for them. And he's allowing them to be where they're at. And you're allowing them to be where they're at right now so that they can recognize their need for you, like you did for me, Lord. 
And so I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they would turn from their wicked ways, that they would see sin as it really is, that it is something that you had to sacrifice your son for, and that they will accept that sacrifice, that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for them, that they might have personal relationship with you, that they would accept that, that they would confess that, that they would turn from their ways, that they would repent and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be in control, and I need you to be my Savior. Save me from myself. Save me from my sins, and save me from eternal punishment, and save me to be used of you however you choose. Father, draw them to you and use them mightily to bring glory and honor to you and so that you might draw others to to yourself through them. Father, be glorified. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for using us. And Father, we commit our lives to you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you stay with this, whether it simply is a matter of subscribing at one of the 12 or 13 different podcast outlets that there are and listening or visiting our website at www.aural-history.com or you're listening on SoundCloud, wherever it is, or if you're one of our patrons who supports us through Patreon, I'm so glad that you're sticking with us. And I just, I'm privileged to be a part of this. I'm privileged to continue to share what it is that God is doing even today in and through me. So stick around. We'll get to part three of my faith journey, but we'll have a and aside next time for my two fathers. So I thank you for listening. Keep on listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Aural History. This has been a production of Z Media and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. Join us again next time.